7 to 8 p.m. Sport on with Tabiso Musia. Thank you and a very good evening and welcome to the show. I'm not alone. As always, Luyo Lomkalip is the producer and Sylvester Komane is with us in technical as a technical producer. This evening, we will go live to Madrid shortly to get the latest after Real Madrid sacked their coach Julian Lopetegui last night and they have put a caretaker manager in charge. Reports indicate that Antonio Conte remains the favorite to take over, but apparently his demands are putting the president Florentino Perez off this deal. So we will get the latest from our men in Madrid in a short while. After that, we officially start our build-up to the Mzansi Super League, the T20 cricket competition, which will be broadcast live on SABC TV and radio platforms. And we will talk to Devon Heat player Carl Abbott, former Proteas player, of course. And we also have a special interview tonight with South Africa's MotoGP champion, Brad Binder, who won his third race of 2018 this past Sunday in Australia. He won the MotoGP3 world title two years ago and he's agreed to chat to us and we will also use this interview as part of our careers in sport feature to find out what it takes for a South African kid to go and compete in the big stage in MotoGP and Brad Binder has some advice and on that note of motorsport we didn't get a chance to talk about it last night Lewis Hamilton's fifth Drivers World Championship after his fourth placed finish at the Mexican Grand Prix this past weekend so former SA Racing Champion Chop Sipuka will put things into perspective for us. What does it mean for Lewis Hamilton, where does he rank as far as the sport's greatest drivers are concerned and most importantly, what's next? Because it seems like he's not stopping anytime soon. But first up, we will go over to Madrid to get the latest there on the coaching saga. If you want to join our conversations at any time, feel free to call us on 0891-104-207. Our SMS line is 40938. On WhatsApp, we do take voice notes on 061-4104-107 and it's hashtag SAFM Spot On. For the story behind the action, catch Tabiso Musia weekdays at 7 p.m. And let's go all the way to Madrid now. That's where we find Real Madrid correspondent for goal, Alberto Pinero, who's been kind enough to join us again here on SAFM. Alberto, good evening and thank you again for speaking to us. We are really grateful. Hello, good evening to all of you. Thank you. Lopetegui is gone. I guess there was no doubt that he would be fired after that 5-1 defeat uh, to Barcelona. No surprises there? No, no surprises at all because, uh, you know, it was a very bad streak in uh, Real Madrid. Uh, it was uh, five defeats in the last seven games in a row. And uh, we all knew that uh, if Real Madrid... Uh, loses lose, uh, in the Clásico against Barcelona, uh, Lopetegui was going to be fired. So no surprises at all with the decision taken uh, last night. But what went wrong under Lopetegui, uh, Alberto? Uh, well, I just uh, have to say the results because, uh, you know, we, we can't uh, say that Lopetegui uh, made uh, many mistakes, uh, a lot of mistakes. No, no, no. It wasn't a thing of uh, a matter of of the decision by the coach, but a matter of uh, just the results. Uh, you know, Real Madrid uh, are built just uh, for victories, for titles, for trophies, and uh, five defeats in the last seven games. Uh, it's uh, a very bad strike for for the club. So, well, there were uh, some things behind. But uh, not very bad decision. Just uh, I would say that it was just a matter of the results. Was there a fear that things could become worse, uh, considering like what you said that the team only took one point from the past five matches? Was did they feel that this is the right time to make this decision? Yeah, that's it. It's the right time to to take a decision. They didn't uh, take it before the Clásico because it was going to be hard for any coach for any new coach to face Barcelona in the Camp Nou, in, in Barcelona City. Uh, so they decided to wait at least until the Clásico. Well, if uh, Lopetegui uh, got to beat uh, Barcelona, mm. it was going to be good for the team, for the club, for Lopetegui. But uh, if they lose uh, the Clásico... Uh, then uh, it will be the the last uh, reason to to decide to fight Lopetegui. 
Now, his father has come out to say that his son is being made the scapegoat here because Real Madrid did not replace a 50-goal a season Ronaldo. Do you do you agree with those comments? Was the squad or was the squad good enough? Well, I think the squad is good enough to beat uh, Alaves, to beat uh, CSK Moscou, to beat uh, Levante, for example, uh, even to beat uh, Sevilla. But uh, it's also true that uh, without Cristiano Ronaldo, Real Madrid uh, are missing uh, 40 goals, 50 goals per season, and especially the, the, the leadership that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo had inside the dressing room, inside the squad. Uh, but, uh, well, even without Cristiano Ronaldo, they had to win uh, uh, these, uh, these games against uh, Levante Alaves, as I was saying. Mm. And a lot of people feel that Real Madrid have not replaced Ronaldo. Why have they not replaced him with a big name like it's been expected? Well, I think it was just a matter of the summit, summit transfer market because, uh, you know, they liked uh, Neymar a lot. They still uh, want to to have Neymar in the squad, but it was impossible to make the transfer last summer uh, because of the of PSG. And, uh, well, the, the, the rest of the football, the star footballers uh, they wanted, they were all very, very expensive. You know, for example, uh, Hazar. Hazar maybe is not a striker like Cristiano Ronaldo, but it, uh, he's one of the, of the stars in the European football. And um, they were demanding like uh, uh, 150 million euros for, for Hazar. When Hazard is going to, uh, it's just uh, two more years of contract remaining with Chelsea. So there were no reason, at least Real Madrid thought there were no reason to to pay that amount of money um, if they could wait one season until next summer and they could um, they could sign Hazard for um, a cheaper amount. Exactly the same that it happened with. Courtois. It's exactly the same example. And this summer, when Real Madrid uh, went to the to the summer transfer market, they didn't find anything good enough uh, to not just to replace Cristiano, okay, to 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 be in the Real Madrid squad, being not so expensive uh, as we were talking about, uh, 150 million euros, 200 million euros, and uh, things like that. Real Madrid um, are quite sure that they they can't uh, fight against um, against the Premier League clubs against the money that Premier League clubs uh, have against PSG against Manchester City uh, and they are not going to do it. Now, now Solari is in temporary charge. I remember him playing for the club, but he wasn't one of those big names. Uh, tell us more about him. How is he viewed today in Madrid? Well, today was the first day of Solari in the in the Real Madrid first team. It was the first press conference. Uh, as you were saying, Solari was a Real Madrid player with the Galacticos era at the beginning of the millennium. Uh, he was uh, the coach of Real Madrid Castilla for the last three seasons, and well, he didn't get uh, too many good results, but um, Florentino Perez, the, the Real Madrid president, likes Solari a lot, and uh, well, it's uh, an easy choice for Real Madrid. They are looking for another coach bigger, uh, with a bigger reputation, with a bigger experience, like Antonio Conte, Michael Laudrup, or Roberto Martinez. These are the three main choices right now in the uh, in the Real Madrid agenda. But um, by the moment, it's impossible to hire any of them, especially Antonio Conte. Antonio Conte is the first option for Real Madrid right now. But um, the, the the negotiations were difficult enough to not close them in just one day, uh, on Sunday night and uh, Monday morning. So Real Madrid decided to um, to keep uh, Solari uh, uh, on the bench, on the Real Madrid bench. Meanwhile, they still keep negotiating with uh, Antonio Conte in the first position. And if finally it's impossible to hire Antonio Conte, then they 
they will start looking for for another options. But Real Madrid have to play tomorrow another game in the Spanish Cup. So it was um, impossible to keep the negotiation with Antonio Conte uh, for more time than uh, than last night, than Monday night. I understand that there's a rule in Spain, Alberto, that says that a coach can only be a caretaker coach for two weeks. After that, he must either be appointed officially after 15 days, actually, or not at all. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, that's correct. But, uh, well, I, I, um, I read that, uh, that rule yesterday, last night, and it's true that the rule is like that. But it's, uh, you know, it's not clear enough because... The rule is talking about uh, just about hire a coach, about making a coach a contract uh, for the first team. And uh, I don't know perfectly the, the, the rule to say that uh, maybe they can hire Solari and keep uh, one more week, two more weeks negotiating uh, with Conte, for example, and then fire Solari to make, uh, to make him return to the Castilla, to the Jaws team. So it's true. Uh, by the moment, we can say that um, they have just uh, two weeks to negotiate uh, for Antonio Conte or any other coach, uh, and then they have to. Um, they will have to take a decision. But uh, I'm not 100% sure. I'm sorry. Yeah. And and what's the issue with Conte? There are reports that he wants more money than what Real Madrid is willing to pay. He also wants a centre back and another striker. Well, I think it's not just about the money, not just about the, the demands, uh, the request of players. I think it's a matter of uh, the whole project because, you know, Conte is a respected coach and he's not going to come to Real Madrid just for six months, for half a year. But uh, there's a doubt in Real Madrid around Conte, so they are not uh, willing to give uh, Conte all the power. Not only about money, not only about transfer, but it's a matter of the project. Uh, if, you, um, if you have doubts right now with Conte, you are not going to give him all the power in the club. And, uh, you know, it's like the, like, a play, like the play of uh, the dog and the cat, uh, because Real Madrid really wants uh, to have Conte in the team and Conte really want to to come to Madrid, to Real Madrid. But uh, you know, these are the the the, the main uh, topics in a in a negotiation. I think it's just a matter of time, because in just uh, one night and one morning, it's impossible to to make Real such a big uh, contract, such a big uh, transfer, and uh, probably both Conte and Real Madrid just need a little bit more time to. To get a deal. Would he be the right fit, though, for the club, considering that he was seen as a disciplinarian at Chelsea and there are other reports that Sergio Ramos is not impressed by him coming to Real Madrid? Yeah, it's true that Sergio Ramos is uh, not impressed. It's not uh, willing to have Antonio Conte. Uh, he said that in the mixed zone after the, after the Classico in the Camp Nou. Oh. You know. But... Um, but I'm completely sure that uh, even when uh, Antonio Conte or whoever other coach uh, joined the team, joined that uh, squad uh, at the dressing room, uh, they are going to defend uh, the, the Real Madrid interest and the coach interest um, for sure. It's also true, as you were saying, that uh, Antonio Conte still uh, has to to finish, uh, you know, the negotiations about the. The compensation in uh, with Chelsea, and this is uh, another more problem. But you know, it's not only one reason. It's not only Sergio Ramos. It's not only the money. It's not only uh, the the Chelsea compensation. It's uh, it's about everything. And they they had uh, less than 24 hours to talk about it. So um, if they uh, start, uh, you know, uh, solving all these issues. Maybe there, there could be a, an agreement. I, I, I don't discard Conte to be the coach uh, for Real Madrid, mm. even if there's problem in these first two days of the negotiations. Okay, Albito Pinero, thank you very much for speaking to us on SAFM here in, in South Africa. We really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. You're welcome, mate.
Thank you, Alberto. He's a Real Madrid correspondent, of course, for Gold, and he's giving us the latest at what's happening there in Madrid. It is arguably the biggest club or one of the biggest clubs in the world and everybody always wants to know what is happening with this big club so that's why we thought we should bring him on and get the latest from him and I think he's given us the latest it's clear that Antonio Conte is the favourite the bookies have him as favourite they're never wrong uh, but everybody's surprised at how how the negotiations how long they've taken and how they seem to have stalled now it seems like Conte is standing his ground here to Florentino Perez and if he doesn't if this still doesn't go through then he's already uh, mentioned uh, Lodrop as one of the people mentioned to take over. I see also Jose Mourinho has been mentioned as well as the Belgium coach Roberto Martinez. So let's see how this one goes. But up next, we're going to talk cricket. We are starting our build-up to the highly anticipated Mzansi Super League, which will be broadcast live, of course, on SABC's radio and TV platforms. And we'll speak to Devin Heat bowler Kyle Abbott. Let's have the conversation. WhatsApp voice notes on 0614 so it is finally here. Well, it's, it's almost here, actually, the Mzansi Super League. The tickets are on sale. They're 50 rand. Uh, they're being sold at the Ticket Pro outlets uh, all around the country. 50 rand uh, for each game there. And also, uh, the prize money was announced today. There is a 10 million rand up for grabs with the winner of this uh, tournament take, uh, collecting a 7 million rand. So there's a lot at stake and a lot to play for. And let's speak now to uh, Carl Abbott, who will turn out for the Devon Heat. He joins us on the line. Carl good evening and thank you very much for speaking to us on SAFM. Good evening, yeah, thanks for having me. Good to chat to you guys. Well, it's really happening, uh, Kyle, I'm sure just like a lot of other players and a lot of other people, you are delighted that South Africa finally has this uh, global T20 competition. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think it's something South Africa has needed for a while now. Um, you know, we've, we're a little bit behind when it comes to T20 comps. Um, the Big Bash has taken off. The Caribbean League has been incredibly successful. And, and places like Bangladesh and obviously know the IPL pretty well. So to give the local players a, an opportunity uh, in, a, in a franchise system and, and to go through the excitement of a draft uh, is, is pretty good. And um, I really hope it's the start of good things to come. And as players, what would you be hoping to achieve in this tournament, Kyle? Is it a chance to be seen by the other leagues? Is it a chance to put our T20 cricket on the world map? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for for guys who play international cricket, it's quite easy. Your exposure is always there. But for local players, it's a little bit harder. So for, for South Africa to have something like this that, that is broadcast around the world, it does give guys an, an opportunity who... You know, are probably good enough to to play international cricket or play for the pro tiers, but uh, their timing might just not be right. But if they do well in a competition like this, who knows where where it might lead? Um, as a guy like Cameron Delport, for example, who has played in all the leagues around the world but has never played for uh, for the pro tiers, so the opportunities are there, which is exciting. Now, you mentioned the draft earlier on, uh, as, and uh, you were snapped up by the Deb and Heat. I understand you had your phone off during the draft. Did you know, <laughs> Did you have no idea of where you could end up? <laughs> I did. Um, I hadn't been, you know what, I hadn't been back from, from England that long. And normally when I do, I head, I head up to the bush. Um, at, at the time, I was in Sisluia Amphalosi in the game reserve, where I, the places I really miss when I'm away from home. So... I was there, and it was a good opportunity to turn my phone off. I kind of knew the draft was on, but um, you know what? It wouldn't have made any difference if I was watching it or not. I've been in a, quite a few drafts, and you know, there's, there's the other side of the coin where it's disappointing, where you don't get picked up. So um, I've I've learned I've learned how to handle them now, and the best way is just to to wait and, and not even to look. So yeah, I was having some some quality rest time uh, when the draft was happening. Are you happy though to be with the Deben to be at Kingsmead again, or were you happy to play anywhere in the country? Yeah, you know, when it comes to having, like I said, having been in a few drafts like this, um, you know what? Just to get picked up is is incredibly sort of great. Uh, to be, I'm pretty grateful and and quite humbling that and people want you in their team. But uh, to get picked up at home is incredibly special. Um, I've grown up playing all my cricket at Kingsmead and in and in Natal, so. Um, that's it's exciting for me, and you know when I was back there the last couple of days to do some training, all the memories sort of come flooding back, both for the Dolphins and and for the Proteus. So yeah, to to kick off the tournament at Kingsmead, my home ground, in a couple of weeks' time is is pretty exciting, and I'm really looking forward to it. And what are they expecting? What are, what are the expectations from the CEO Hendrik Strydam and the coach Grant Morgan for this team for this franchise? 
Yeah, obviously we've got a, a good squad. Um, I only realised the other day that we've got 11 international players or guys that have played international cricket out of our squad of 14, which which is quite um, quite remarkable. And I think the experience we've got there is, is going to help us to the tournament. But, you know, having played in a few of these tournaments around the world and you're getting players from different franchises and that all coming together, the, the key thing is to actually to gel as, as quickly as you can. The, the tournament's only, only short. So knowing Grant Morgan, um, I know he enjoys having quite a bit of fun off the field and that. So I think that's going to go a long way in, in helping us do well in this competition, just to, to get the guys to gel and relax and, and then use that experience that we got to, to help us win games. And with the likes of Vernon Philander, Albi Mokal, Modern van Veik, um, David Miller's there, Temba Bavuma, a lot of people feel that you've probably got the most balanced squad here of the six franchises. Uh, do you agree with that? And does it put a bit of pressure on the team? Yeah, I strongly agree. I think um, I think the guys, Graham Morgan and Imran Khan, had a had a great draft. I really think they they have got a balance, and and like I said, a lot of experience. Um, yeah, you know, I think um, everyone's got an equal opportunity, especially when it comes to T20 cricket. Sometimes it's just luck on the day. It could be a run here or a wicket here that that sort of changes games. And no matter how strong your, your team is, um, anyone can sort of beat anyone on the day. But um, there's no doubt we'll go into this, comp- in, into this competition pretty confident uh, with, with the squad that we've got. And there was a launch in Deben recently. How was how has the team been received uh, in KZN? Yeah, uh, you know, um, the guys who are doing the, the marketing, um, I think it's like they, they're going about this the right way. They, they're really trying to express what, what Durban's all about. Um, it is the hottest place, I believe, in, in South Africa. Um, and it is most colourful. The, the different cultures and that, that we have got here on the KZN coast is quite remarkable. So um, to get everyone together and I think to get the crowd out at Kingsmead and Fulber Stadiums, um, but not only there, but around the country also. Um, but, yeah, it's um, it was a good launch. Um, there was a lot of support and I'm sure we're going to get a lot more of that through the competition. And finally, Carl, you've been really great for Hampshire in county cricket. I think 60 wickets in 2017, over 50 wickets in the 2018 season. Yeah. How has the experience been for you? And are you satisfied with your performances? Yeah, it's it's been really good, thank you. Um, you know, in the six months that we're there, we play a lot of cricket um, across four days, T20s, and one day. So you're always playing. It's a very busy season. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm very satisfied with, with the way it has gone. It was my goal to go over and, and contribute to, to Hampshire and, and get them into winning ways, and we did by we did that by winning a trophy this year. So um, so far it has been pretty successful. Still got another two years left left on the contract, so a lot more hard work to come. But um, no, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Great stuff, Carl Abbott. Thank you very much for finding time to speak to us. We really appreciate it, and we wish you all the best and your team for the Mzansi Super League. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, and um, you're welcome to call anytime. Thank you, Carl Abbott. Uh, Devin Heat, fast bowler, of course, in the Mzansi uh, Super League. Looking forward to this one. And I'm actually looking at their team on paper. They really, really, really seem to have a very good team here, this uh, Devin uh, Heat. And uh, they've got a very good coach in, uh, in, uh, in, in Grant Morgan, actually. Uh, one of my junior coaches back in PE, when he was still playing for EP, he used to give cricket classes on Saturdays. And we used to go there at St. George's Park to go learn how to keep wicket. I was actually a wicket keeper during my days, believe it or not. And uh, we learned a bit of betting too from Grant Morgan so good to see that he's uh, done he's doing a fantastic job there in KZN with the Dolphins and we wish him all the best also uh, with the Durban Heat and uh, also um, up next then we are gonna speak to Brad Binda South Africa's Moto um, GP uh, rider racer whichever way you want to put it is now in Moto GP2 Brad Binda after winning the Moto GP3 title and he's already won three races this year in 2018 and it looks like a big things are due for Brad Binda his brother Darren is also by the way uh, racing of course in a Moto uh, GP3 there he was also racing in Australia this past weekend uh, he was looking really really good until that last lap so we uh, put a call through to Brad Binda because of the time difference uh, we had to call him before the show. He's also preparing for a race in Malaysia. There are two races left in the MotoGP2 uh, schedule. Uh, so we had to speak to him before the show and we'll hear from Abred Abinda after this break. Hashtag SAFM Sport On.
Okay, so as I mentioned, it's a pre-recorded interview with Abred Abinda. Uh, he's, he won his last race in Australia at Phillip Island this past weekend, and uh, we caught up with him. And I began by asking him um, if he, if with his three race wins, he's reaching some of the goals that he set for himself this year in MotoGP2. Uh, you know, uh, it's been a really, really difficult year. Um, I came into the year expecting a lot more. Um, basically, at the beginning of the season, we had a tough time and it was really difficult to get results. But um, as the year went on, I got, I improved a lot. Um, my bike got a little bit better too. And um, yeah, I mean, it, right now I'm lying third in the World Championship. Uh, it's not too bad, but honestly, I wanted to fight for the World Championship this year. But um, the positive thing is I'm getting stronger and stronger every weekend. And I really believe that maybe next year I can try and fight for the World Championship. Well, you had a great start in Australia. and Then uh, they caught up with you before you went for it in the last two laps or so. Just take us through that race because it caused a lot of excitement this side. Yeah, the race in Australia was really crazy. Uh, I think there were about eight guys fighting for the victory. Um, at the beginning of the race, I put my head down and tried to break the field up a little bit. But after about 10 laps, I saw that the guys were still right behind me. So I decided to just hang back a little bit, um, stay relaxed and save my time for the end. And uh, with three laps to go, I uh, pushed my way through to the front. And when, once I got there, I just uh, tried to do the two best laps I've ever done around that track. And uh, to, to walk away with the win was a, a great feeling. I heard after the race, you, you said part of the plan was actually to attack with those two laps to go. Uh, so did you always feel that you were in the race? Yeah, uh, basically I felt like I had a little bit in my pocket. I always felt like I was a little bit stronger than the guys in front of me. So I knew if I played it clever and I was in the right place at the right time, I had a very good chance of winning the race. And you are lying third in the overall standings, as you've, as you've said. Now it's been a challenging year. But with two races left, what are you targeting for these last two? You know, uh, at the moment, third place in the World Championship isn't quite wrapped up yet. But um, my, my goal is to, is to go and try and win these next two races. Uh, at the end of last year, I, I was really quick at these two tracks coming up. I managed to get a third place and second. So I'm looking to convert those two results into wins this year. And how different is this win at, at, at Phillip Island, uh, Brad, from your previous two wins this year in Aragon and Germany? Uh, this was the the smallest or well, the narrowest advantage I had. Uh, was, I won the race by less than one cent. So it was really, really tight. Um, whereas in Aragon, I won by a couple seconds. And uh, in Saxon Ring was close to a second but um this race was just crazy there were way more people uh it was a lot harder to to stay up front because everybody was fighting like crazy so uh it was i think it was uh, the most rewarding win i've had so far this year i think you were second there last year did you feel you could go one better this time around Going into the weekend, I was really confident that I could fight for the victory. I didn't know if I, if I would get it or not, obviously, but um, I, I had a good feeling that I had a, uh, a good opportunity to really fight for the win. And yeah, it turned out to every of well, my, my hopes came true. So uh, yeah, I'm really happy. And Philip Island has always been a track that's been really in the past. Brad, if you can just explain for us here at home, just the step up. What's the major difference between MotoGP2 and MotoGP3? Is it the bikes? Is it the quality of the competition? Is it a bit of both? Uh, the, the biggest thing you need to get used to when you step up from Moto3 to Moto2 is you, you go from racing a 250cc single-cylinder machine to a 600cc four-cylinder. And also the weight is completely different. Um, the weight of the bike... <laughs> The weight of the bike is uh, is basically double. Whereas the weight of a Moto Two bike is kind of well, exactly double, actually, of a Moto Three. So it's really hard to uh, to get to get used to it. But um, once you get used to it, it's uh, it's an incredible bike to ride. And for you, what has been the biggest achievement in in your career so far? Is it making that step up, or is it is it winning the Moto Three World Title? 
I'd say my biggest accomplishment so far in my career has definitely been winning the Moto3 World Championship. Um, it was a it was a great year for me in 2016, and um, I'm really working hard to try and win myself a Moto2 World Championship before hopefully stepping up into MotoGP. And how much time are you giving yourself to make the step, the next step up? Well, I I was planning on going up already, going into next season. But it turns out that I'm going to end up staying, staying on with you and team. And hopefully, well, I'm pretty sure I, if I can do the job like I'm doing at the moment, I'll be a MotoGP the following year. Is is this something that you always wanted to do with your life? Are you living your dream now, Brett Binder? Yeah, uh, definitely. It's been it's been my goal and my dream since I can remember. Uh, I always wanted to be a MotoGP racer. So. Um, not quite there yet, still in Moto2, but uh, basically things are looking good and we're heading in the right direction. So I'm confident I can um, hopefully fight against the best in the world one day. And here at home, you were national champion in karting at the age of eight. What memories do you have of your racing time here in South Africa? Yeah, racing in South Africa, I, uh, no, basically I started with karting and when I was old enough, I started racing motorbikes. But um, I already, I, I think my last season of racing in South Africa was 2010, maybe. Mm. So it's been a long time since I last raced at home. But um, yeah, I've been over in Europe basically since I was 12 years old. So how did you end up being accepted in that Red Bull Rookies Cup? How does it work? Do you get spotted? Uh, was it because of what you were doing here at home or do you apply to, to, to get accepted? Uh, basically, how it works is you you apply to, um, to to the Red Bull Rookies Cup, and then they accept. Uh, I think it's normally around 200 kids from all over the world, yeah. and you go to a selection event at a track in Europe. Every year it's different, but normally the tracks are based in Europe, and um, they basically out of those 200 children, they choose uh, between eight to 12 guys to join their series the following year. And I guess you've never looked back uh, since. And you've been with Agile Motorsports now, I think, for about three years, the Champion Factory. How important is the is the, is the team to complement your talent? Yeah, the, I'm very lucky. I've raced for the Factory KTM team now. Uh, for This is going into my fourth season. So, the, you know, the, the, as much as it is like a, it's a sport where you're alone, it's you got so many people behind you. Um, just to give you an idea, in my team <coughs> for two riders, we've got 23 people. Mm. So it's so important to have such a, a good structure behind you. And um, it just makes your life a whole lot easier and gives you the opportunity to do your job so much better. So uh, now that you're in Malaysia, how's the normal week for you? Are you based in one particular area or do you move around the different places because of the schedule? Um, my my schedule here in Malaysia really is quite chill. Um, I only need to go to the circuit on Thursday morning, and uh, from from there, a normal week for me at these overseas races is really relaxed. Basically, there's not many people here. It's not like when we're in Europe, and there's not too many events to do. So um, I'll head to the track on Thursday, and from there, Friday morning we start practicing. Saturday is qualifying. And Sunday is the main race. And just as we wrap up, Brad, a word on your brother, Darren. What do you make of his progress? He had a good race also in Australia until that final lap. Oh, my brother's been doing an incredible job. He's had a really, really difficult season, but he's turned it out, <coughs> really turned it around in the last two races. Um, to see him on the podium uh, two, two races ago, it was incredible. It was awesome to see my brother get a, a good result and something he really deserves. So, uh, yeah, he's got a ride again for next year, and I really think he's going to be fighting for the World Championship in Moto3 next year. And finally, for those parents listening to us who have kids that like carts or do bikes, what does it take to make it all the way to the top? What advice would you have for them? Yes, uh, I'd say it doesn't happen overnight. You know, it's really, it takes time to, you've got to step uh, step your way through the ranks slowly. And, um, yeah, basically never give up. Just carry on chipping away at it and eventually you'll get to where you want to go.
Great stuff, Brad. We wish you all the best for the what's left this year. And thank you for putting the country on the map. And thank you for finding time to speak to us here on SAFM. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Great stuff there. Our champion, Brad Binder, uh, representing us very well on the world stage as far as uh, uh, well, motorsport is concerned. is in Moto2 now, but it's only a matter of time for sure before he makes it to MotoGP with the big boys. And Mdange has called us uh, from Cape Town. Mdange, good evening. Thanks for calling us. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, member. I hope you're good there in studio, guys. I just want to congratulate the guy, man, Brad. I mean, even though I, I don't follow uh, the, 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 the racing uh, so, so much, uh, I'm yeah. into football, but uh, when someone is carrying that South African flag and is racing, racing amongst the best there in the world, that, that person uh, deserves an order of Ikamanga, member. Congratulations <laughs> to him, and he must continue uh, raising that flag. But my second point, member, man, I just want to uh, touch base on this uh, Real Madrid coach. Uh, I'm glad that Real Madrid finally fired that guy. Hey, uh, we were struggling, member, to be embarrassed in, 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 uh, with that kind of score, 5-1. I can imagine yes. uh, if my favorite team can lose with that. Uh, that scoreline five one is an embarrassing scoreline, member. And uh, thankfully, uh, that uh, the, the the board of Real Madrid uh, took a, a, a bold decision and fired him because we deserve better. We deserve better. We are the the planet's most successful side, and we don't deserve to lose with such a with such a margin, member. And we deserve better. Hopefully, this time the Real Madrid will hire a coach that will start from scratch and build a Real Madrid to be what they are known to be. And because we are tired of these coaches who are staying two years, three years, and then they they leave us in a mess like this. Uh, hopefully that uh, will appoint a, a very good coach member. Thank you so much. So will Conte be the right man? No, I don't want him member. I don't want him member. No, 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 no. I don't want him. If if it was up to me, member, I I I think we need to find a coach like even if you can bring that guy from retirement, Prince Alex, if if it must be. Prince Alex, if it must be a member, I don't want Conte. I want another coach, but not Conte, please. Okay, a lot of people don't seem to be happy with Conte being linked with Real Madrid. They just feel that he doesn't fit the profile um, of uh, Real Madrid, uh, Conte. So let's see how that one is going to uh, end and how it's going to turn out. But thank you for that call, Mdange, um, and uh, also for acknowledging Brad Binder. I think it's important that we give him the spotlight also because here in the country we've got this uh, so-called big sports, cricket, soccer, rugby, and that's all we seem to talk about. And uh, we never really highlight what's happening down there. And that's what we try, well, what's happening with the so-called minor sports rather and that's what we try to do on this show just to try and give everybody an equal platform up next we're going to speak to chop sepuka because we didn't get through uh, to uh, we didn't get to talk about lewis hamilton's fifth world championship title yesterday so chop sepuka former sa motorsport champion will break it down for us and take us through lewis hamilton's uh, 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 five world titles leading sport stories of the day on safm by the way, there is actually a game going on in the Curry Cup. It's the promotion and relegation playoff match. Uh, the Cheetahs, who finished last in the Premier Divisions, are, uh, Division, are up against the Southwestern uh, District Eagles, who won the first division and they were top of the log. And that's how they qualified to get into this promotion and relegation playoff match. And there are two minutes left there, and uh, it looks like the the Cheetahs will keep their uh, Curry Cup uh, Premier Division status here. They are leading by 36 points to five from. I can see uh, from the Toyota Cheetah's official account and uh, that was about two minutes ago 36-5 to the Cheetah's who speak who picked their strongest team of course for this encounter they've been uh, uh, mixing it up uh, playing in the Pro 14 where their strongest team has been and uh, their second stringers as they are called in the Curry Cup have really really been annihilated but they went for the big guns here so that they can make sure that they keep their Curry Cup uh, first uh, Premier Division status rather but how long can they continue like this the Cheetah's though they surely have to choose one now either Pro 14 or Curry Cup one must go surely because they can't continue uh, like this anyway let's uh, continue talking motorsport and Chops Sepuka joins us on the line Chops good evening and thank you very much for joining us to talk about the success of Lewis Hamilton Good evening to you, Tavis, and good evening to your listeners. But before we get into Hamilton, you had a little bit of Brett Binder, who we spoke to. Just give, what does it take to make it at that level at Chopsipuka that is just one step away from MotoGP? Well, I think most importantly, it's, it, it also boils down to support at home, uh, the structure around you, which keeps sewing you on. And uh, it's, it's also personal disciplines where you've got to keep on grinding at it until it works. So all that put together 
uh, creates a platform of where Breadbender is. Most importantly, I think, in, in all fairness, support in the sports goes a very long way because it's a very lonely road to get to the top there. Now let's talk about Lewis Hamilton, who became a five-time world champion, uh, the third driver to do so after uh, run after Fangio and seven-time champion, of course, the great Michael Schumacher. Um, surely now, if there was ever any doubt that he deserves to be called a great of the sport, there are no more doubts. Is he a great of the sport? He is. I think everybody who comes into that sport and leaves a mark is a great in his own uh, at his own degree, because if you go back, Fangio was great, Etten Fenner was great, so was Michael Schumacher, and so will other drivers that come after uh, um, Lewis Hamilton. So there's no doubt in anybody's mind he's one of the greatest with five championships behind him. And I think we'll see more as long as he's still in the sport and he's still got the right team and everybody that supports him in that team. Now, a lot of guys just want to win it once, like Nico Rosberg won it once and then he quit. What kind of hard work, dedication, and probably just outright skill does it take, Chops, to win a title, to win this title five times? There's a lot of commitment that goes behind the scenes, and there's a lot of teamwork, and there's a lot of commercial interest that drive the championships that you see. Um, Rosberg drove his heart out to beat Lewis Hamilton. He really drove his heart out. And if Lewis Hamilton, for one reason or the other, hadn't had some of the mishaps that had happened uh, in the previous year where um, Rosberg became champion, I'm sure we would be seeing the sixth uh, title on, on Lewis, under, under, under Lewis Hamilton. But more importantly, um, it, it goes to say Rosberg couldn't really withstand all the pressure, the enormous amount of pressure that was always on him and being in the shadow of Lewis Hamilton. I mean, you could see that whole team is built around Lewis, not because he doesn't deserve it. He's worked his way to make people believe in him and drive him to come up the ladder there. A lot of people talk about how good the cars are these days and that it's the cars mostly that win races. But this Lewis Hamilton just also has pure natural ability. And uh, do you think that all these arguments about the cars take away from his natural ability and the skill that he has? You still have to drive the car. It doesn't matter how good <laughs> it is. It still has got to be a pilot piloting it at the end of the day. But a lot of what we see has really got to do with the car. You can see a driver like Alonso has not shaped and he was one of the top drivers in the Formula One. Went to McLaren. McLaren had a, a very bad spell that they're still going through and they are not able to actually dial out the car to actually suit its drivers. And this is where they are lacking now. So you're seeing Alonso falling back into the clutches of the Class B championship, if I may put it that way, in Formula One. So Yes, the car's got a lot to do with it. And as a driver, what are some of his strengths, Lewis Hamilton? Um, there's been talk, obviously, about his driving skills in wet weather. He won the German Grand Prix from 14th, I think, on the grid after the, the, that rain. And um, he was also in pole position in the rain in Hungary. What are some of his strengths? Look, it's, it's, a, it's a special field. A driver has got to have an extraordinary skill to feel and to be part of the car, to be able to sense where the grip levels are when it's wet. Because when it's wet, it's wet for everybody. When it's dry, it's dry for everybody. But it's only those sharper drivers who are able to have the natural flair and ability to be able to drive the car in the wet. And that is, it's, it's, you can't be taught that. It's a feeling and how you feel when you break the car, when you turn the car, and you are able to assess where there's a lot of standing water, you move away from the standing water. You're always looking for grip on a drier line. So that skill is a, is a God-given skill. And it wasn't supposed to be this easy, Chop Sipoka, when we had the experts speak before the season started. Sebastian Vettel was really expected to give him a tough time in 2018. And I guess for part of the year, he did. But he fizzled out, he fizzled out in the latter part of the season. Was it that or was Hamilton just too good? 
Hamilton, uh, I've, I've always said this to you, so he's got a, a very strong head, uh, more than other drivers. Let alone when he doesn't win, you could see his body language and how he expresses himself. He's not happy. I mean, you could take a simple example when they went to the U.S. He was on pole. The strategy to put him on pole was right. But when he lost the race to Kimi Raikkonen, then the strategy for the tires was wrong. So if he had won the race with that strategy, the tires would have been good. So once it did show us that Mercedes, at that point in time, together with Lewis, they were not really bulletproof. But above all, they did their best to, to, to end up where they did and still putting him in, in, a, in a good fight to quickly clinch the title two races to go before the end. And as far as the cars are concerned, uh, the Ferrari and, and Hamilton's Mercedes, was there a lot of difference in, 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 in the cars? There's not much of a muchness. I think in the hybrid era, we've seen that these cars have never been as close as they were. Um, to say that they're, they're running a very different setups in terms of rake on how the car behaves on, on, on turning and small micro aerodynamic efficiencies on the front wings, on the rear wings, because of all the vortexes that go through the front wing in allowing the vehicles to have more grip and the turbulent air that gets dissipated towards the back to sort of frustrate some of the cars that come behind you. I mean, you can see now they're using a DRS system to try and pass the cars because there's a lot of turbulent air that comes through this. So there hasn't been much of a muchness with, with the upgrades that they've done. But where Ferrari went wrong was straight after uh, Germany, they brought a few upgrades. And those upgrades really sent them the wrong way. And when they went to the U.S., they brought the older upgrades they had on the car and the car just was flying again. So it, it was just a sad, uh, a sad way of not having uh, composure in the right direction as to have strong level-headed uh, leadership to say, the buck stops here, let's change this, and let's rather go back to the offsetting. They came out very late, and Lewis and Mercedes had looked at that, and they capitalized on the opportunity. He's won nine races this season. Uh, is this his best year? I think from a maturity point of view, it's been his best year. I think he's not been involved in too many squabbles on, on the circuit. He's done very well. He's deep, deep. You must understand, these guys have had shared dominance in this hybrid era. And there comes Ferrari breathing down their neck and winning races in, in, in a very threatening fashion. So you must imagine now the enormous amount of exerted pressure on the team, on the drivers, and um, trying to beat Ferrari at, at, at their own game. It looked like Ferrari was teaching them how to drive at some stage or how to <laughs> run Grand Prix that they've surely dominated over the past seasons. Mm. So there has been a, a bit of a, a wake-up call there from Ferrari. Hamilton will be 34 next year when the new season starts. How much more can he achieve? Well... If he gets the best car all the time, he can achieve as many championships as he likes. We can actually see uh, Michael Schumacher's record now is not far off from where Hamilton uh, is positioned. If, if Mercedes is going to be dominant in the hybrid era and outside the hybrid era, you would see Hamilton being the greatest driver ever in, in accolades of the championships he has won. And who will the biggest challenge finally come from next season? Who should we look out for? There are a lot of kids coming up. There's a lot of kids coming up, but the, the, the immediate threat has been Max Verstappen in the Red Bull oh. with Adrian Yui and the whole package. But I still believe, because they're changing engines from a Renault engine, because remember, all the Red Bull performance is coming from a Renault engine. Now they're moving to Honda. Honda needs to go through their research and development, which is the teething stages of requiring the engine to have the ability to chase the Mercedes and to chase a Ferrari. So right at the top, I think the, 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 the team to still beat is going to be Mercedes. Maybe Ferrari could come within a challenge uh, on, on, on that, but I think the, the, the car to look out for is going to be the Red Bull.
And with Hamilton maybe finally out of the way in a couple of years, will Verstappen now be the one to watch? <laughs> Verstappen is going to be the one to watch now because <laughs> if he gets, you know, we, we, we looked at, we, we tried to simulate how these Grand Prix would have worked. If you had taken Max Verstappen with his sheer aggressive style of driving and he was driving the Ferrari and Ferrari might have not made the mistakes that they did, I think, uh, you would have seen the champion Swift change towards um, Ferrari and probably Max Verstappen. But that being said, you know you, you can't not give credit to uh, Sebastian Vettel for 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 the commitment he's put forward. But he has also made a lot of silly mistakes, which shows the the, the pressure that he's been under and how he handled it was not so good. But the setup on the car as well seemed to not really gel in the first lap. Every time he came into contact with another competitor, we saw him coming into contact with Lewis Hamilton in Italy, coming into contact now in the U.S. Grand Prix with uh, Ricardo. And uh, then the car spun around. So there's been a really fine balance on cold tires, on heavy fuel loads in your opening lap with that Ferrari. Okay, great stuff. Chop Sipoka, always a pleasure talking to you, sir. And thank you for giving us some wonderful insight into Lewis Hamilton and just the world of Formula One. Thank you, Kanye. Thank you. Former SA motorsport champion, of course, at Chops Sipuka speaking to us about Lewis Hamilton. That's where we have to leave it. Seems like a lot of people enjoyed also hearing from Brad Binder. Hopefully we'll catch up again with him when he's going to step up now to Moto GP. Definitely one to watch Brad Binder. And hopefully he can be recognized at the SA Sport Awards. Maybe a Minister of Excellence Award Nyana there or something like that for our own Brad Binder there who's definitely put us on the map. But that's it. Thank you to Luyolo Kalipi. Thank you to Sylvester Komane, uh, and also thank you to me, oh, Tabiso Musia. Yes, and up next is Mr. Ashraf Gada with the viewpoint. And tonight's big hitter is the CEO of South African Tourism, Asisa Njona. Tomorrow, we talk all things boxing.